don't know about you, but um, it's important in life to have people around you to encourage you and support you, to hold you accountable. Uh, you know, no astronaut would go into space without a life support system. I used to be, I thought it was so cool. You know, I was, when I was a kid growing up, it was in the early days of the space flight. You're going like, wow, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. But I can remember the Mercury astronauts and some of those, the first ones ever went into space and, and some of the things, and I'm thinking, man, that's really scary. But they went into space uh, well knowing that they had a system and a backup system of life support. Um, no deep sea diver would go into the ocean and go down without some kind of a life support system, uh, you know, attached to them or some way. No heart surgeon would operate on you without making sure that there was some kind of a life support system to restart the heart and keep you going if something went wrong. And, and no soldier is ever sent into battle uh, without at least a squad uh, around them. A squad is the smallest unit of, 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 of combat unit. It's like 10, 10 privates and, and a couple of other officers that, uh, that are there. Uh, they don't go on their own. See, God never intended for you and for me to go through life on our own, uh, to be Lone Ranger Christians, to uh, be people who just do everything on our own and, and live life on our own. Matter of fact, um, God made us as people with a life support system in the body. It's called cells. You know, your body is made up of millions of little cells, little individual life support units that keep you going, and that's the smallest unit of our body. And in the, bo in the body of Christ, uh, we call this life support system small groups. Small groups. It's interesting to what Jesus said. And why he said this? Because, you know, the Bible tells us that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. But he also says in Matthew 18, 20, it says, Jesus said, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am I with them. So why did he have to say that? Because he's saying there's something dynamic and something powerful about people gathering together in his name. So during the starting next Sunday and for the next seven weeks following that, we're going to be doing a series called Transformed. And in this series, we're going to look at seven key areas of your life, seven key areas of my life where we need to be transformed by God. Last week, we started by talking about how God begins to change us. And if you missed last week, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But uh, to, what we're going to be doing in the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at seven key areas, your spiritual health, your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health, your relational health, your financial health, and your vocational health or your job. How God wants us to all, how he wants to transform our lives through every one of these things. And uh, we're going to be doing that. But I want to tell you, if you want to get the most out of this and you really want to really grow the most, number one, show up on Sunday mornings. But number two, be connected with some other people in a small group. And I want to tell you why that's important today. I want to tell you that the Bible tells us why it's important. So we're going to answer today's message is basically broken into two parts, two major sections. The first one is to answer the first group, uh, the first question, what does a small group do? Now, for those who have been in small groups for a long time, you already know the answer to this, okay? But maybe I just want to renew your, uh, if, if, sometimes small groups get a little off track. And so we need to stay on track about what the Bible says a small group is to do. And secondly, what I want to talk about, the last part of the message today, is how can I get the most benefit from my group? How can I get the most benefit from my group? How can the group benefit me the most to help me to grow and be transformed that God, how God wants me to do? Now, 
Our model is not some model that we made up. Our model is actually in Scripture, the way we do church at Great Oaks. In, in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, uh, the first church in Jerusalem, this is what it says. The first church met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. And they met in a large group setting for teaching and worship. And they met in a small group setting, a house-to-house setting for community and fellowship and expanding upon God's word. So our model is that. And actually in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see the the whole elements of what a small group does. So if you have your Bible in some format, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning, we're going to be looking at that, the first part of the message today. And I'm going to be talking about this whole thing of what God wants us to do and why it's important that we really understand if you really want to grow, if you really want to be what God wants you to be, you need to be connected with people in a group. God made you that way. So let's talk about the five elements of spiritual, uh, of spiritual life that support all these things. These five areas that we need to help, for health to grow, to change. Uh, and we're going to look at them in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Number one, the first element that we see in Scripture is very clearly uh, that we see there is one of the things that a small group does is we study God's Word together. We study God's Word together. If you have your uh, bulletin on the back, there's an outline. If you want to fill in blanks, that's where it starts today. We study God's Word together. In, in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42, in the message translation, they, it says this, they committed themselves to learning the teachings of the apostles. They committed themselves to learning the teachings of the apostles. And what were those? In those days, um, uh, it, it was, that was what Scripture was. It was the teaching they had in, before them. It was God's Word. Um, let me ask you a question. If you were ever in, if you were ever in an accident and there were people around or you saw an accident, the, the policemen just ask you the question about what you saw, or do they ask everybody around what they saw? Because there are different perspectives on the same thing, right? Let me explain something to you about why we study, why, and this is, listen carefully, why it is more beneficial to you to study God's Word in a group than to do individually. Because it's good to study individually, but in a small group, you get multiple people's perspectives on Scripture. I've, gone to, I've been a Christian since, uh, since I was 14 years old. I've been to college. I've been to seminary. I got a graduate degree in, in, in theology. But I cannot tell you how many times sitting in that same small group that Kevin's talking about and other small groups over the years. I'm in the men's group on Saturday morning as well. Um, how often sitting in that group, I don't go in the group as Bill White, you know, theologian. I go in the group as Bill White, uh, fellow struggler in Christ. And I can tell you that there's many times that people have shared things in that group or in other groups along the way that, that I didn't get from Scripture. And it's expanded my understanding of Scripture and what it does and, and, and everything about it. So, the reason, the reason you need to be in a group is you learn far more in a group than individually because you gather other people's perspectives on, 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 um, on, being, on being part of on, on Scripture itself. Now, some people will go like, you know, like, and I'm going to challenge people today too. I'm going to tell you this right up front, very front thing. One of the things I'm going to challenge you today is some of you need to start groups. You're going like, well, I'm not a teacher. You don't need to be a teacher. I want you to start a seven-week group under Transformed, and I want to tell you what it means. Let me ask you a question. 
Don't raise your hand, by the way, okay, when I ask these questions. How many of you have a heart for people? You care about people. I hope all of you do. How many of you have the ability to open up your home and invite somebody in? Probably most of you do after you clean up some stuff. (laughs) How many of you can serve people something to drink? Probably most of you can. If you're, you know, it's really weird years ago, we came from the South, and, and um, you know, in the South, people, when they drink tea, they have sweet tea. It is nasty sweet now is the way I think. But people, when, when we used to have small groups at our house, and when we've had small groups at our house, we used to serve tea, and everybody wanted to have sweet tea, southern tea. And so we began, began the group with the sweet tea. And, uh, and so we served that, Okay. So you can serve, you can do that. Okay, number one, you have a heart for people. Number two, you can open up your house to somebody else to come in. Number three, you can serve them something to drink. How many of you have a DVD player? You could raise your hand for this one, okay? How many of you have a DVD player or some form of technology, okay? How many of you know how to turn it on? Okay, I just described for you the qualifications for hosting a small group during Transformed. You don't have to teach because we need hosts. We need people who have, who have a heart for people who will open their homes up and invite just a few people in. Not a ton of people, just a few people in. Let me tell you the, max, the perfect size group, six to eight. Perfect size group. You know why? Because you get more people in that in a group, the, the sharing level goes down with everybody. There's just a few people that dominate conversation. When you have, uh, we found that our, even our men's group on Saturday mornings when everybody doesn't show up, the six to eight that's there, talk. And these are guys, you know? But you get more people than that, what happens? So, I mean, I'm talking about if you have three or four people that can show up at your house and you, can, you have a heart for them, you, you can open up your house to them, you can serve them something to drink, and you can turn on the DVD. Because during this series, one of the things we're going to offer is we have out here on the table, and I have 15 of them out there, okay? I've already given away 20 of them to other small group leaders, but we have these DVDs. If you put this in, Rick Warren, one of the most challenging pastors in the whole United States, whose church this morning in multiple services, or this weekend in multiple services, will have 25,000 people in multiple services, which is incredibly cool. But they're the only church in America that has more people in small groups than they do in worship. This week... After they have 25,000 people in, in multiple services all through the Saddleback Valley and through California, they'll have 35 to 40,000 people in small groups. So Rick Warren teaches on here, 20 to 25 minutes, and then you just got, in this book, if you buy this book, let me tell you something else you'll do. If, we, if you say that I'll lead a group, I'll host a group, we'll not only give you one of these, we'll give you one of these. You don't have to pay the 12 bucks. What a deal! Because in here, and this is not anything different than anybody else says, all you have to do, all you have to do is you have to make a commitment for seven weeks to open your home, sit down together with some friends, listen to to some great teaching, to talk about that teaching together, and let God begin to work and grow you in some way. So, number one, we study God's word together, and that's what we're going to be doing in in our series. Number two. One of the things, another thing a small group does is this, we practice learning how to love. We practice learning how to love. We've said this before, what is the number one, Jesus said, what was the, the number one commandment? Number one, 
Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's love, right? It's love. Your number one purpose in life is to learn to love God and love others. And, and this morning, folks, let me tell you this. I, I'm glad all of you are here. I don't know all of you. I like you, I think. <laughs> but the people you love are people that you build a commit, you have a relationship with. It's a commitment to spending time together, to doing all those things. And you cannot love everybody here this morning that way. You cannot have, have this relationship. But in a small group setting, in a setting with 6 to 8 to 10 to 12 people, the thing is, is that there is where you practice learning how to love. And let me explain something else to you that's about small groups. You're going like, well, yeah, um, you can't learn to love without being around people who are different than you. Now, I know you guys are perfect. You're, you know, you're cool. You, you got everything together, uh, everything like that. But, you know, in, in a group, sometimes we have people, special people. You know what they're called? We call them EGRs. You know what an EGR is? Extra grace required. And you can gather what that means. They're the people that's God's heavenly sandpaper. And they rub you the wrong way sometimes. It is easy to love people just like you, but it's a little harder to love people who are different, right? And so the deal is, in a small group, you can learn to love people that are different from you. Just think about some of your family members. You may not like them, but you love them. And the reality is, as we learn, we've learned, we practice learning how to love in a small group. Practicing love is, there's a name in Scripture for practicing love. You know what it's called? Fellowship. You thought that was eating, right? No. Fellowship is the word. It, it says this in Acts 2.42 in the New, in New Living Translations. All the believers devoted themselves to, one of the things it says in there is to Fellowship. In the uh, contemporary English version, it says they were like family to each other. I found this to be true. Many ways, our spiritual family could even be closer than our, than our biological family sometimes. In the message translation, it says they committed themselves to, to life together. See, love isn't a feeling. Love is a commitment, a choice. It's, and so I want to give you, ask you to make a seven-week choice to get to know some people to learn, to study God's word with them, and then to learn to love them as well. Number three. You'll like number three. Number three is one of the things small groups do is we eat together. You're going like, yes, that's a great, I want to be, you know, any group that doesn't have food, I want to be a part of. I don't know about you guys. It don't have to be a lot of food, you know. It says this in scripture, it says they shared in the fellowship meals. And, and another translation says they broke bread. I guess in my group it would be gluten-free. Okay? Uh, but the reality is, you know, Jesus talked about uh, teaching and learning and living and walking and eating together. It says in Acts 2.46, it says they ate meals together in their homes, eating with great joy and generosity. One of the things that happens in a group is that in building fellowship is something about sitting around the table and eating together and sharing a meal together where people break down barriers and begin to share life together in a real way. And so one of the things that I encourage groups to do is not every week do the same thing. I mean, you know, three weeks, three weeks a month or something like that, you know, do your normal thing. But maybe one week a month just kind of get together for some fellowship time and do it around food. I found that groups that really are successful long term 
are groups that, that, that don't, that, that there, there's more than just an agenda of studying the Bible. The Bible is one of the primary things, but it's not the only thing that we do in groups. We eat together. Number four, we pray for each other. We pray for each other. It says uh, in, in, in this, uh, Acts 2.42 as well, it says they spent time praying together. Now, for some strange reason in Scripture, and I don't understand why, how this works, okay? I really don't. So don't ask me how it works. There is something special about praying together with other believers in a group. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 19. He says, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about it, something and pray for it, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. It's like this, prayers are multiplied in a sense. The power of prayer is multiplied when you pray together with other people. Now some of you are sitting here going like, well, you know, that's one of the reasons I don't want to be a part of a group because they'll ask me to pray. How many of you could talk? You know, prayer is just talking to God. Just like you, you don't have to have a special language. No these, no thous. You don't have to speak King James English. You don't have, I mean, you, maybe you grew up in a church environment where they, pre, they prayed that way. Shame on them because truthfully they didn't talk that way the rest of their life. You know, the reality is, is that you and I can pray if we can talk. And so how I do it, beginner prayer in a group is simply this. I simply say today as we go around, when we do this, let's just pray one word or one sentence prayers about something we're thankful for. And if you can't think of anything else, just say, God, I am so thankful for this group. Amen. And everybody will think, man, that person is genius. Because they're thanking God for me. And so that's part of the deal as well. We pray for each other. That's something else that goes on in groups. Let me tell you, I don't know about you guys, but being in groups for, I've been in groups, I don't just talk about groups, I am in groups. There's never been a time in the last 30 years that I've not been in some kind of a group, maybe, uh, maybe just maybe for a month or so we've had some breaks, but other than that, it's been a part of a group. Couples groups with my wife, guys groups, I've never been in a women's group, but uh, don't qualify. Uh, but... Uh, but all these different things. So, and in that group, one of the things I've known is that we, I can tell you on Saturday mornings, many times when we finish up, we'll have talked about stuff and shared stuff, and then we'll have conversations after the group. And guys will pray with each other, and guys will encourage you. Sometimes it's after the group meeting, and we kind of like say, hey, I'm going to be praying with you about that. And we mean it, and we know it's going to happen. So, we pray for each other. Number five. Something else that happens, it says in small groups, is we encourage and help each other. We encourage and help each other. We practice unselfishness in practical ways. We support each other in times of need. Um, Acts 2, and 45, it says, They shared everything with each other and helped each other when anyone in the group had a need. I cannot tell you all the things that have gone on. I mean, even in the last few years here in the life of the church and groups. Yeah, Bible study's gone on, but let me tell you what else has gone on. Things like people bringing people meals when they needed something, doing errands for them, uh, taking people to the hospital, watching their kids when they're going through a tough time and they needed some help in different ways. See, when you build a relationship with people, that it's not just a, just a Bible study group. It's a small group that does more than that. The thing is, the Bible says that's where you live life together. We say this, and Nate said it last week, I'll say it again to us. While it's great that you, you come here and sit in rows, a circle is a much better way to grow. I would love to see more people in this community 
in small groups than I would in worship on Sunday mornings. I'd love to see lots of people in worship too, but I'm saying that's where life will really happen as we connect with people and we encourage people along the way. And then I love what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. It says this, God has given each of us some special abilities. Be sure to make lots of money with it. Is that what it says? No, 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 no. It says God has given each of us special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. It's not about, it's about us. That's where we need to make sure that we don't let our group get so big and become like a mini church. That we don't know what's going on in people's lives and we can't share together. That the level of sharing goes down. That's, so anytime a group, and I'll simply say this, anytime a group gets too large, you know what it means? You need to give birth to a new group. I've been in groups that have multiplied multitudes of times. And you're going like, oh, but I love them so much. Well, yeah, good, but you, you invite anybody new in. Are you so big that you can't invite somebody new in that you know that needs to know and needs to be a part of that group? That needs to be part of the deal. So, okay. That's the first big segment. Number, part number two. Part number two. How can I get the most from my group? How can I get the most from a group? If you do all six of these things, you'll grow. You'll grow. Number one, make my group a priority. I know I left just blanks there and you have to fill in the whole blank. So, you know, write real quick, whatever. Make my group a priority. You know what that means? Show up every week. We live in this crazy, busy society that has way too many things on our plate. And we are adults. Big people know how to say Thank you. No, thank you. No. We say no for us. We say no for our kids. We make, we have a sane lifestyle. Christians should be different than the rest of the world. We have priorities. We know what our priorities are and we say no and we say yes. So make my group a priority. Show up, you know, if you don't show up except every other week for the next seven weeks, you'll only, you'll miss half half of transformed and you'll only be half transformed. That'll look like a mess. I don't know what it'll look like, but it'll be kind of a mess. Anyway, make your group a priority. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. Habits require frequency and consistency. We know that. Number two, how to get the most from my group. Share my thoughts with humility. Share my heart, thoughts with humility. Don't try to impress people. Just express Leave your ego at the door. This is not a, a group should not be a place where you have to put on airs. Is that a term we even use anymore? No. Be fake. Okay? That's what it is. I love what it says in Romans 12, 16. Don't be proud and feel that you know more than others. Make friends with ordinary people like we are extraordinary. You know, I guess that's the opposite of that, you know? Uh, humility, you know what humility means? Humility means being teachable. I can learn from anybody. I love what it says, and I don't have this on the screen, but what it says, in, you can write this down, Proverbs 15, 14. Proverbs 15, 14 says this, intelligent people want to learn, but stupid people are satisfied with ignorance. <laughs> I love Proverbs. It's such a great, it just simply says what it is. You know? And then I want to learn that I will put on the screen Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. It says this Never let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble 
and give more honor to others than to yourselves. You hear what it says? Do not, do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. One of the things we do in a small group is share our thoughts with humility. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, Kevin, but in our, in, in our men's group, one of the things I love about that is that we have a bunch of guys that share their ups and their downs with humility. That's one of the things that can happen in a small group. I don't expect it to happen up on a stage here with people, you know, everybody sharing all their dirty laundry. And not everything is even shared in the whole group. Sometimes it's just one or two people in the group to get together to share things as well. But let me tell you, if you want to really get the most out of a group, you need to share your thoughts with humility. Number three, respect others' ideas with courtesy. Guys, I'm only talking to guys right now. Girls, you can just close your ears off, okay? Um, guys, if, have you ever been accused of not being a good listener by anybody of the female persuasion? Guys, no, no none of us guys have ever been accused of that, right? But you're not listening to me. I didn't ask you to raise your hands, but I think if we didn't raise our hand, we'd all, be, all the guys would be called liars. But the, the reality is, a small group, if you do it right, will teach you to be a better listener. Like I said a while ago, that same, that same verse in Proverbs, um, and there's another verse in Proverbs as well, 18.2 says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Proverbs 18.2. Romans uh, 14.1 says this, in the message translation, says, Open, a welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. I love how the message puts it, you know. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Treat them gently. One of the things that we happen it happens in a small group, we need to respect others' ideas with courtesy. It's not there to say we have to all believe the same way and, share, and understand the same way. Everybody is at a different place on their journey. I kind of lo love what one person said one time. It says, I am not all that I could be, but thank God I am not all that I, I am not what I used to be. I'm not all that I could be, but thank God I am not what I used to be. We're all on this journey of life, and we're in different places in life. And when you have a group and different people in a group, one of the things we learn in the group is, to, is we learn to listen instead of judging. We learn to be better listeners. That's a skill set that we need to learn. Let me tell you something, folks. I, that's the only problem I have in a group. Because every time I'm in a group, because I'm the pastor, people look at me like, oh, what do you think? And I just don't, sometimes I just intentionally don't speak because I want to hear what everybody else has to say. Because even if I don't agree with them, it's, in, it's, in, it's helpful for people to, to share what, where they are. Romans 15, 2 says, we must bear the burden of being considerate of doubts and fears of others. So that was number three. Number four, if you want to get the most out of a group, number four, share my faults with honesty. Share my faults with honesty. 1 John 1, 7 and 8. 
I'll leave it up there a second. Okay, <laughs> share my faults with honesty. I forget, you've got to write these down. Number, uh, 1 John 1, 7 and 8 says this. If we live in the light as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Now look what it says. What is the light, living in the light? It means we are authentic. Authentic. But if we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. This kind of goes along with the last one, but a little bit different. Uh, the thing is, is that sharing your weaknesses, you, you know that sharing your weaknesses helps others? If I got up here this morning and talked about all the things that I've done in life, how wonderful and where I went to school and what degrees I have and, you know, all this kind of stuff, you're going to like, oh, that's great. But when I share weaknesses and when I share, when I share stories of weaknesses, I cannot tell you how many people say, well, that was helpful because I can relate to that. James 5, 16 in the, the Living Bible says this, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We all need to be healed from something. Our past, our hurts, our resentment, our memories. I'm just going down a whole list of things that we need to be healed from. All of us do, if we will admit it. We need to share our faults with honesty because we, none of us have it 100% together. We're on this journey in life. I love this little quote that uh, Rick Warren has said uh, several times. I learned years ago. It says, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. It's the beginning point of really being, uh, of healing, being healed in our life is sharing our faults with honesty. That's, that's something else that happens in a, in a group. Number five. In a group, if we want to get the most out of it, we share others' problems with sympathy. We share others' problems with sympathy. Galatians 6.2 says, help carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will follow Christ's teachings. I don't know about you discovered this in life, but one of the things that's true is this. When I share a joy, it's doubled. You know, I go in a group and I share a joy. Something's happened, everybody's going, yay! You know, can I share? It's doubled. But when I share a sorrow, it's halved. It's like, I don't have to carry it all by myself now. Colossians 3.12 in God's Word uh, translation says, As holy people whom God has chosen and loved, be sympathetic, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. And in 1 Corinthians 12.26, it says this, If one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. We are to share others' problems with sympathy. Folks, if, if I have a need in my life and I need to share with somebody, you know where I go? I have an accountability partner and I have my small group. You know, some things I share with my wife, I just don't want to put every burden I have in life on her, though. I want to kind of spread the mess around. <laughs> and so that's where I go because I trust the people. I mean, they're imperfect. They're just like me. In my group. But they're, they're guys that, are, that have shared together. They struggle together. We pray together. We're honest with each other. It takes a while, but it gets, we get there. So share, other props, share others' problems with sympathy. If you want to get the most out of the group. And number six, finally, is this. If you want to get the most out of a group, encourage each other with accountability. Encourage each other with accountability. I could have picked like a hundred verses in scripture, so I just chose two. 
Okay. Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know what the idea of spurring is? It comes from riding horses, I understand. You know, spur. What's a spur do? It makes the horse go because of a little pain, I understand. Not a lot of pain, just a little bit of pain. And that's the picture. How can, let us consider how we may poke the others on, on toward love and good deeds. One of the things that you and I need in life is people who would encourage us with accountability. Hey, it's not just sharing in our group. Hey, this is the stuff's going on in my life. It's messed, you know. It's not healthy just to keep telling the same story over and over and over and over again without doing something about it. But in a group, if somebody shares a story and they've got something in their life they need to change, one of the things that we do is we encourage each other, hey, what have you done about that? How is it going? We encourage each other, but we do it with accountability. Romans 1.12 says this, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. It's kind of a mutual faith thing. Our faith grows as we are together with other people and they have faith in one area and we have faith in another area and we work together. God works that way. So, saying all that, saying all that, you need the, the early church Met in the temple courts, that's the big room, like this. And it's courts, multiple services, multiple locations. And they, then they met from house to house. In small groups where people could know and grow and become accountable to one another and share, each, share the, what God was teaching them and his word. Those are the things that are amazing about small groups. You will never hear me say... Yeah, just come to worship at Great Oaks because that's all you need. It's a good starting point. But we need to do what God's people did in the early church if we really want to change and, and, and allow people, God to work in us in ways that are amazing. And he can do it. He can transform us in all kinds of ways. He can transform all the different areas we'll be talking about but we got to use the tools that God gives us. And one of the tools he gives us is other believers who will help us to grow. So are you in a small group? If you're not, you need to get one. In your bulletin, let me tell you how to do that. You take this little tab. You pull it off. You write your name on one side. And on the other side, it says small groups information, time preference, group type. You sign it and you place it out there at the, at the, uh, on this side of the center where the books are. And we'll connect you. But let me tell you something else you can do. I believe there's a number of you here that need to be hosting a group. You know three or four people that you could invite right now to your house to be a part of a group for the next seven weeks. Do you have a heart for people? Can you open up your home? Can you serve them something to drink? Can you turn on a DVD? That's the requirements. 
You're going to like, what do I do after that? We'll tell you what to do after that if you decide you want to stay together as a group. I'm not making a life, I'm not, not asking you to make a life commitment here. I'm asking you to make a seven-week commitment to connecting with other people because I think it's that important. It's that important for you. It's been that important in my life. So if you'd like to do that today as you leave the, the building, there's going to be somebody out there at the desk who can not only sell you a transformed book, but if you'd like to be a part of leading a group, of hosting a group, not leading, hosting a group, Go to them and say, I want to host a group, and they'll give you one of these, and I'll give you one of these, and then you put your name down and your contact information. That way, if anybody else is in your area that'd like to be a part of a group, guess what? We'll connect you with them. You can be a part of that. I'd like to see us have not only 30 groups, but 60 groups. That's what it would take for us to have not only, we'd have more people in groups than we do in worship. Last week, I know this is a Labor Day weekend, last week and we had, I looked at our numbers, the adults in the big room, we had over 700 here totally in everything, children, you know, whatever thing. But in the big room, we had in the first service 280, in the second service 250 or 240 something. So we had almost 500, we had 500 some people, in uh, big people, <laughs> I call you big people, in the room. I'd like to see more than that. We have currently probably around 300 people, 300 plus that are in actually small groups. I like to see that turn that number turned around. May still have 500 people or whatever in a big room, but I like to see us have six or 700. You're going like, where are they coming? They're people in your community that you know that might not show up at church, but they'd sit down in your living room and, and listen to a DVD and, and do that. And let me tell you, that's the way to begin to influence other people in huge ways. And all you have to do is have a heart for people, open your home, serve them something to drink, and turn on the DVD. Beyond that, I'll give you five minutes of instruction beyond that. You know, uh, I'll meet with you and tell you how to do anything else you might have problems with. Okay? So let's, let's do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. We pray that you would enable us this morning, God, as we close and go from this place, that you would, in a real sense, God, work in our lives to help us to understand that the early church did it right. It wasn't like some plan um, where God came down from heaven and said, hey, you need to have large group gatherings and small group gatherings, but they understood that, that life together happens best in a setting, in, a, in an environment like the home where people can sit around and, and they can share and they can live life together um, and they can study your word together, God, and they can share what they're learning and they feel accepted and they feel, and, and, and people in the group love them too much just to let them stay there, but they hold them accountable for change. All these things, God, happen. Not so much here in this big room, God, but in living rooms and in family rooms and different places around this community and all the communities around here, God. Right now, God, I know we have numbers of groups in Germantown and Metamora and East Peoria and Washington and, and Roanoke and and, and, and just, I don't know where all the groups are, God, but there's a lot of different places we have groups. And I would pray, God, that you would just bless those, those people that have made a commitment to host, hosting those groups. But God also would pray for those who would make a commitment today, God, to step out in faith and just simply pick up a DVD, and pick up a, uh, one of these uh, all-in-one guides, and, and, and to call a few people and say, hey, would you meet with me on this day of the week, this place, and we're just going to spend seven weeks just, just kind of living life together and, and studying something together. And in doing so, God, we don't know where that's going to take them. I know groups that start that way, and they decide after the seven weeks to continue to go on. And 
I know groups that have been started this 13 years ago at Great Oaks when we did 40 days of purpose. And those groups stayed going for years and years and years. And they multiplied multiple times as well, God. And I pray, God, that you would just encourage us, God, right now in this whole process to trust you, God, but to do it your way. Change us, God, and transform our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.